If you'd like to borrow a Bible, please raise your hand, and I'm telling you, you are going to need one this morning. We are going to be all over the place. We have no screen. We're going to be flipping through our Bibles. All the Baptists in here are going to love it. It's going to be awesome. If you're not a Baptist, you're just used to staying in one spot, get used to it this morning, boy. We're going to be all over the place. And there, there actually are seats uh, here in the front in the splash zone. I mean, there's plenty right here and over here, so... You can come on up. I know it's hard to see back there, but there are seats totally uh, up here. Next week, we'll be back at the MIC doing our thing. So look forward to seeing you back there next week. So glad you can make it over here. How many of you went over to MIC this morning? Come on now. Don't be shy. That's all right. That's all right. We're glad that you made it over here. Glad you trekked back. You didn't say, well, just forget it. Go get some coffee or something. You made it. I'm glad. This morning I want to talk about how sometimes something can be delightful for one person but devastating for another. The same exact event. One person can be so excited about while someone could just be devastated by. You you can think about uh, in competitive sports. You you usually are a fan of one team and there's a fan of another team and that same event can happen and one team can win and the other lose and and one fan is just so pumped that the Bulls won, and one team is so sad that the Heat lost today. <laughs> that was prophetic. All right, That game will be later on today. Don't be thinking about that right now. Sometimes it can happen in a job where one person gets the job, and the other person didn't get it. They're just bummed. They were, they were devastated they didn't get the job. And sometimes, unfortunately, many of you can attest to, it happens in dating. Yes, say... say um, Two girls like the same guy. The guy picks one of the girls and not the other. One girl is floating, and the other one just feels the sting of rejection. And I'm sure perhaps some of you can relate to that, unfortunately. But let me tell you, there is coming an event in the future that is going to have global implications where the world will be divided into two. The delighted and the devastated. This one event at the second coming of Jesus Christ, the believers will just be overjoyed and rejoicing and delighted that Jesus has finally come back. And those who have rejected Jesus, have not believed, will be absolutely devastated. One event, two responses. Where do you fit? We're in a portion of scripture right now that's talking about the end of the world and we're talking about Jesus coming back. And I just want to acknowledge, I understand that this material may be so new to some of you. You've never studied end times events before from the Bible. You've never studied the Bible about Jesus coming back. And that's okay. This is like totally new. And so for this morning, we're going to do something totally different. Since this is new material, we're in a new location only for today, we're going to have a different approach. Rather than me um, preaching in the normal way of of exhorting you and yelling at you and things like that, we're going to do something a little different today. And and, and you think, well, this is going to be really boring. And it may be, hopefully it's not too boring, and hopefully you can stay awake. But we're going to do more straight-up teaching. Like, let's start looking at some of the details. Like, what, what do we have here? 
what is Jesus saying? So this is the first time getting information. Let's just go with almost like straight up facts. What are the facts surrounding the end times? What are the facts surrounding Jesus coming back? And, and some of the things I'm going to talk about today, I mean, it's like you want to be in a classroom and raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. I'm not going to call on you. But you're going to want to raise your hand and ask questions because today I guarantee it's going to be like drinking from a fire hose. You're going to have, you're going to want to have so many questions because stuff that you've heard that you've never heard before. And I'm just, just straight up teaching you. So that being said, as we go through this end times into the world events, I'm going to try as best as I can to not use big words. Doesn't it seem like anytime anybody preaches about the end of the world, they're using words, you don't know what they're talking about. And so I'm going to try to reduce the big words and not use up any make-believe words. Just simply use just the big words that are in the text. And you're smart people. You can track with that. And so this is going to be a totally different approach. So if you want to take notes, I don't know what's going to help you track today, but it's going to be very, very different. We're going to just go through it in a teaching, explaining way. So let's turn to Matthew 24. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 24. If you don't know where Matthew is, look on someone next to you, look on the table of contents. But we're in Matthew 24. And last week, for those of you who were here, for those of you who weren't here, we looked at the first 14 verses of Matthew 24 where Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple. He, he told this to his disciples. And when the disciples heard this, it triggered something in their mind where they thought, huh, temple's destroyed. In our mind, that means that Jesus will soon be reigning on the throne. So they're, they're connecting the two events temple destroyed, Messiah Jesus will be reigning on the throne. And so they basically come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, they ask him two questions, when and what? When are you going to come back? And what will be the signs <clears throat> surrounding your coming and the end of the age? When and what? And Jesus answers them, in the Olivet Discourse. You know why it's called the Olivet Discourse? Because he gives it on the Mount of Olives. It's just simple teaching. And he started to answer them last week, and he said that several things were generally going to occur between his first coming and his second coming. Things like, <clears throat> things like false Christs, earthquakes, famines, persecution of believers, and, and some believers actually... Um, false believers falling away. And he said, all these signs are just general things that are going to happen until Christ comes back. Don't be alarmed. Don't be deceived. He's not coming back yet. These are just things that are generally going to happen until he comes back. But his exhortation to them was to persevere, to endure, to keep preaching the gospel. In fact, the gospel was going to go out to the whole world and then the end was to come. So they were to be active in their endurance. Now, so far, the first 14 verses of Matthew have been safe verses to preach. You know why? Most everybody agrees so far. Nothing controversial yet. Most scholars and theologians agree so far in the first 14 verses. But as we move past the first 14 verses, there is a divergence of opinions and interpretations on what Jesus is actually saying. Some of the views would say that what Jesus is saying 
is all the events that occurred, most of them, most of the events that occurred before the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. Others would say, no, no, no. What Jesus is talking about is only the events surrounding his second coming. But which is it? Well, if you remember last week, we believe that what Jesus is doing, at least I do, what Jesus is doing is he's meshing events. He's talking about the events surrounding the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, and he's also talking about end-time events. Remember last week we talked about pre-season? Pre-season would be the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and all the events surrounding that, and that pre-season is pointing to the latter big event, the big Super Bowl event of the end of the world. So you have two things going on here. Jesus is warning his disciples about what's about to happen surrounding in Jerusalem many years, not, not to me, in, in the near future, and then he's pointing to the far future, the distant future, and his second return. So if you can hold those two together, I think this passage will make more sense to you to understand that Jesus is doing the near future and the far future. And if you're not track with me, I'm sorry. <laughs> but here we go. We're going to jump in with verse 15. Verse 15. With some big words. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now this word, this phrase, abomination that causes desolation, it's, it's mentioned in the book of Daniel like three different places. And it, it, it's really easy to understand, okay? An abomination would be like an idol or a person that would be set up in the temple that would make, that, that the Jews would be so abhorred by, it would cause worship to cease, where they wouldn't be able to worship in the temple anymore. And, 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 and just kind of make you think about this in our times. Let, let's pretend that, you, you know the Occupy Wall Street movement, you know what I'm talking about, you're tracking with that, that protest? Well, let's just pretend there was an Occupy EBF movement, where people came in and occupied here or the MIC and they were holding up signs that said stuff like Jesus is not the only way and they had blood and they were like throwing blood all of us because they were just mocking our belief in the blood of Christ to forgive us so they're just throwing blood and they're chanting I would think that would disrupt our worship just a little bit it would be an abomination that would cause our worship to cease So when Daniel talks about an abomination that causes desolation, he's talking about something that comes into the temple and disrupts the worship. And so you've got to ask yourself, well, what would that be? So when Daniel was speaking about the abomination that causes desolation, an event actually occurred before Jesus came. In 168 B.C., this guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, Check out, this is what he did. He comes into the temple, he erects this altar to Zeus, and then he sacrificed a pig on the altar, which is abominable, right? To Jews, absolutely. And so with that event, the daily sacrifice was temporarily uh, brought to a halt for the Jews in the temple. Now that was before Jesus came. But if you're reading the Bible right here in chapter 24, Jesus says the abomination 
of desolation that Daniel talked about, standing in the holy place, guess what? That's coming again. They're like, whoa, really? It's going to happen again? Something's going to happen in the temple to make worship cease? What could that possibly be? Well, I think he's referring maybe to a couple of things that could have happened near A.D. 70. Uh, We know from history that in A.D. 70, the Romans are the ones that sacked Jerusalem and and destroyed the temple. It could be uh, Titus, the the, the guy, the general guy who, who comes in. What he did, he came into the city and he came in with the Roman army and they totally destroyed the temple. The Romans brought in these big standards or banners into the temple, which is like an idolatrous abomination. But it might not be that event. You know why? Because Jesus is going to explain, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, flee, get out of Jerusalem. By the time Titus and the Romans came in, it was was too late to get out and flee. I mean, the city was like, terrible. So what's Jesus talking about? Well, there was an event prior to this in 67 and 68 A.D., led by this uh, Jewish revolt. You kind of wonder, why, why did the Romans come in and sack Jerusalem? Well, there was a revolt led by the Jewish zealots. And what they did in 67, 68 is that they came into the temple and they did a, a variety of things to desecrate the temple and, 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 and cause worship to, to be perverted, to say the least. So what our, our thinking could be is that, ah, let's put the two events together. Let's say that the abomination happened in 67, 68 when the zealots came into the temple, uh, set up an unauthorized high priest, and this led, obviously, to eventually the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. by the Romans. So let's kind of put those two events together, the abomination causing the worship to be perverted, and eventually the desolation and the coming of the Romans in A.D. 70. So the question is, Jesus is warning them, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, get out. Do not hang around. He says to them, I want you to die for me, but don't die for a Jewish revolt against the Romans. Die for me. When you see the abomination, get out of Jerusalem. Look what he says. Verse 17. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in this house after he told them to flee to, um, to the mountains. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And also, alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or, or in the Sabbath. So you see, he said, get out, flee to the mountains, get out of Judea. Don't even go back downstairs and get your stuff. And it's going to be a tough time for pregnant women because, you know, the pregnant women, they're going to have to book it out of there. Not good. And, and if it's on Sabbath and you're all, you want to you keep the Sabbath holy and you feel, uh, you know, guilty about traveling on the Sabbath, it's going to be a tough time. But you have to get out. The, the desolation is coming. The abomination that causes desolation. And it happened. Jesus told the disciples. He warned them beforehand. And it happened around 70 A.D. But guess what? It's going to happen again. Daniel spoke about it. Happened before Christ came. Christ spoke about it. Happened in AD 70. But Jesus is also speaking about another abomination that causes desolation that's going to happen before he comes back. 
And you think, you want to ask me the question, if you want to raise your hand, you say, okay, Pastor, how do we know he's not just talking about what happened in AD 70? Well, because look at the next verse. Look at verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation, such has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. Now, I know the events in AD 70 were bad, but that wasn't the most terrible thing that ever happened within the world, right? And later on, we'll see verse 27 actually speaks about Jesus coming. So will the coming of the Son of Man. So the context shifts here. It shifts to talking about a future tribulation uh, that will be called this abomination that causes desolation. And, and don't you want to know what that is? Like, for real, like if you're paying attention at all right now, you're like, really? Something's going to happen that bad again? And you want to know what it is? Okay, you Baptists, let's turn in your Bible. Second Thessalonians, all right? Try to keep your spot here, Matthew. I know you can handle this. Second Thessalonians. You've been so spoiled by that screen. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. The question is, what is that future abomination that causes desolation? So we're in 2 Thessalonians 2, starting in verse 3. Now, let me understand. Oh, wait, are you with me? Paul's definitely talking about the return of Jesus here. That's the context, all right? He's talking about the return of Jesus, for sure. Look at verse 3. He says, Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day, Jesus coming back, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Verse 4 who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the ooh, temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Who is this man of lawlessness? I mean, you've seen him in some of your really bad end times movies. Who is he? He's the Antichrist. Right? You've heard the phrase Antichrist. It's spoken of in the book of Revelation. This is the Antichrist. So he's going to come in the future, and it says he's going to set himself up in God's temple, and what's he going to do? He is going to proclaim himself to be God. Wow. Now that is an abomination that causes desolation. And this event spoken of here in 2 Thessalonians it's going to trigger many other events of great suffering leading to the return of Christ. Now, for those of you who are really thinking and really tracking with us today and not zoning out here, you've got to have one question. I know, don't, I know you've got this question, and, and don't get tripped up on this, but here's, here's the question you have. You're going to raise your hand and you say, excuse me, but there is no temple. I've been to Israel before. I went to Jerusalem. It's not there! It's not there. It's destroyed. There's only a little piece of something left. It's not, it's not there anymore. So if this guy is going to come, set himself up in the temple, where's the temple? All right, two responses to that. First response. 
it's going to be rebuilt. A lot of people believe that. In fact, there are funds created. There are, there are organizations go online. The goal is to rebuild the temple. So maybe there's going to be this rebuilt temple and all this is going to play out. Another interpretation is, this is not talking about a literal temple, but it's talking about the people of God. Is the church referred to as the temple of God in the New Testament? Yes. So maybe, just maybe, and I'm not, I'm, I have no strong conviction one way or the other here, maybe what's happening is this is the Antichrist who is going to oppose the church and try to get people to worship him instead of Jesus. So either way, this is a future abomination that causes desolation where this Antichrist is setting himself up to God and to be worshipped. Wow, some serious stuff, right? That's pretty heavy. So once again, Jesus is talking more about the events that surrounding Jerusalem in AD 70, all right? Now, try to do it if you can. Go back to Matthew. Come on, lose, lose that Thessalonian spot for now. We'll go back there a little bit later. Go back to Matthew 24. Jesus is talking more than about the 80, 70 events. Look at verse 21. Here we go, verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. So Jesus is saying, man, if you're alive during this time, it's going to be the worst ever. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be greater to the stress than anything you've ever seen from the beginning of the world, nor ever will be. Before the world ends, there's going to be chaos. There is going to be suffering. And in here, get ready for a big word. This period of time is called the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation. In some other sermon, we can talk about how long that tribulation will actually last. But for today, for today understand that during the tribulation, it's going to be a combination of man's wickedness and God's judgment blended in this crazy, chaotic, wrathful, sinful, suffering type of way during the great tribulation. And the million-dollar question, the most controversial thing that, that people debate, and I'm just going to tell you, just be straight up with you, is they want to ask the question, where's the church? Where's the church? And there's traditional views on this, and I am not going to fight you on it. I am open. I am flexible. We can talk about it. But there are three different views. I am not going to get into this. Just mention it briefly. Now you're going to have a million questions. Some people believe church won't be here. They're going to be raptured before this, this, a lot of the tribulation breaks out. All right? Boom, they're gone. Caught up to meet Jesus. They're, they're gone. Okay, And then this, this is going to play on earth. Some people believe, no, no, no. The church will start going through a little bit of it, a little bit of the suffering, but before God starts throwing out some serious... Uh, beatdowns and wrath, the church right in the middle, boom, taken off, caught up. But some people believe the church ain't going nowhere. 
they're going to be here through tribulation. Now, don't throw things at me, because I said I'm tentative on this and flexible. But I believe, tentatively, church is going to be here. And you know what? I'm willing to be convinced otherwise, but I, I don't see any clear text that says that we're not. I would love to believe that, because I don't want to be here. I want to be gone. So convince me, please. But so far, I think we're going to be here. Let's move on. Verse 22. Gets really good. Here we go. Verse 22. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So God, I mean, it, those days are going to be so terrible. Praise him that he cuts them short. He doesn't let it continue to spiral out of control to this maximum course of sin. For the Lord and his sovereign control, he's going to cut those days of tribulation short. Praise God for the sake of believers. Verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So, if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out there. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, their vultures will gather. So if anybody comes up to you and says, Jesus came back, he's in this secret desert community, don't believe it. If anybody says, Jesus came back, he's hanging out in this secret underground church, you want to come see him? Don't believe it. It's going to be obvious. Like when you see lightning in the sky, it's obvious. Oh, there's lightning in the sky. When you see vultures and they're, and they're circling around about to eat some dead carcass, you see it. When Jesus comes back, it's going to be obvious. It's not going to be this secret. He came back. He's wandering the earth. Do not believe these false prophets. Do not believe these false Christs. Like I said last week, I don't want your parents calling me, telling me that you joined some cult. I don't want to do that. Please. Stay away from it all. You'll know when he comes back. It will be obvious. All right? Great. No cults, please. Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So right after this tribulation, this is what's going to happen in describing the second coming of Christ. And, and this could be a mixture of figurative, literal language. Maybe it's just language for judgment. And, and, I, and I tend to see more literal here that, do you remember when Jesus died on the cross? Do you remember while I was on the cross? Remember how it got dark? Remember that? Well, there's going to be this darkness again, and the moon's not going to shine and stars are going to start falling, and the whole structure of the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And I, I honestly cannot comprehend this right now. But when it happens, you'll know it's happening. Verse 30. Then will appear in heaven 
the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Do you remember what I said at the beginning about one event can have these two different responses of, of either joy or devastation? Well, here, his coming is in the context of devastation for unbelievers. Did you see it there? It said, all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And I don't think it's a mourning in repentance, but mourning because judgment, Jesus is near, the mighty warrior is coming, and he's coming with uh, clouds and this Shekinah, this glory with power, and it's going to be a devastating and dreadful time for those who don't know Christ. You've got to see something, guys. You've got to see something, girls. Here we go. Look at Revelation 1. It's the last book of your Bible. Go to Revelation, please. Revelation 1. There's two things I want you to see in Revelation. I'm just so struck by this week. I didn't think much about this, but Revelation 1. This is Revelation 1, verse... Seven describing the same thing. Look at that. It says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Don't you think that when the Bible talks about the second coming of Jesus, it's just going to be this time of great rejoicing and we're going to be pumped up, we're going to be so excited. But, but the Bible also, when it talks about the second coming of Jesus, it, it has the context of devastation, destruction, wailing. And you think, well, why are they wailing? Why are they so scared? Turn to Revelation chapter 19. You're still in Revelation. You're doing good, doing good. Revelation 19. I'm going to just do some scattered verses here, but Revelation 19. Why are those who don't believe, why are they wailing? What are they scared about? What are they dreading? What are they mourning over? Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. This is what's going to happen. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Gentle Jesus, humble Jesus, riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. Humble Jesus is coming back to make war on a war horse. Verse 12. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Jump to 13. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he's all tatted up. He has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 20. And the beast was captured. And with it the false prophet. 
who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. The two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. For the unbeliever, it is going to be devastating. For those who refuse his salvation, this can be a time of wailing and mourning. But we're not there yet. There is still time to believe. There's still time for you who have yet to believe. There's still time for those of you in here who have not put your faith in Christ. Because the reality is, God is holy and righteous. And He made you. And He made you in love for His glory. But every single one of us have spit in God's face. To be crass, we've all given Him the finger. We've all done such rebellious things in the face of a holy God and we're thinking we're going to die and he's just going to let us slide. No way! It's not what the Bible teaches. And yet in love, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life. He never sinned. And he was put on the cross for sinners like us. And God, in his holiness and righteousness, poured out his wrath on Jesus. And Jesus was buried. And three days later, no joke, he came back to life. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He conquered Satan. And the invitation is for everyone. All the sinners, he said, okay, come on. Put your faith in me. Turn from your wicked, sinful ways. Repent and put your faith in me. And I will receive you. I will forgive you. I will clothe you in my righteousness. You will be forgiven. You will not face my wrath. You will not face devastation. You will be accepted. And that's now. You can believe in Jesus now. Turn from your sins now and put your faith in him. And when Christ comes back, it can be time of rejoicing. So now let's move, as we finish off here, to a time of rejoicing. Verse 31. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So this, you know, they got this blast of this loud trumpet. The king is coming. Get ready. And everywhere, believers from all over the earth who have been called and chosen will be gathered by the angels. I'm going to have you flip one more time. This is so good. You've got to see this. Back to Thessalonians. Come on, don't give up on me now. First Thessalonians. You're doing good. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Not second Thess this time. First Thess chapter 4. Here's the picture. Christ coming back. This is so good. First Thess 4. Now we're going to look at verse 16. Okay, start there. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, 
with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet. Here we go with the trumpet again of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, let's just pause for a second. So, here's the deal. Christians, when, when, when Jesus comes back, those who are dead, they'll rise first. Remember we were singing that song, Absent from Flesh, and maybe you're getting confused by that song. Okay, look, here's the deal. When you die, your body stays here. And your soul goes to be with the Lord. But when he comes back, your soul, I'm telling, this is for real, your soul comes with him, and your body, all decomposed and nasty and stuff, it like comes back together in this glorified state, and your body and your soul are reunited, and, and you meet the Lord. And there, that's what happens to those who are already dead. That means when the dead in Christ will rise first, all right? But what about for those who are alive? What about that? Oh, okay. Verse 19. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. That's where we get the concept of rapture. We'll be caught up, rapture. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I like that. We're going to be with the Lord forever. Is that not awesome? We're going to be with the Lord forever. Encourage one another those words. All right. Now, for real, we're really going to finish off. Back to Matthew. This is it. Matthew 24. Jesus gives this little last few verses here, two verses in verse 24. This is in verse 32. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. So if you see the fig tree, branches are getting tender, leaves are coming out, ah, summer is coming. Same way. You see the signs? Jesus is coming back. He's at the, right, he's at the door. Verse 34. Truly I say to you. Well, this, is a, this is a hard verse. Verse 34. Truly I say to you. This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Okay, I'm going to leave now. <laughs> what do you do with that verse? What is he talking about? This generation? What generation? Is he, is he talking about the end time generation? The people in the end times when they experience all these things and, and, and then they for sure will go through it all? Or is he talking about the generation of the disciples? They're going to see the temple destroyed, the, the, the destruction of Jerusalem. They're going to see the abomination that causes desolation. Is, but is he talking about them? I mean, Jesus didn't come back, so he's not talking about all the things. Once again, I could be way off on this. I think it's a combination. I think he's combining the two. Generation of 80, 70, they're going to see the events. They're not going to pass away until all that happens. And the same for the generation who lives in the end times. For those who are there when Christ comes back, they're going to go through these things. That generation will not pass away. Last verse, verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Oh, I'm so glad he said that. Because the things described in this passage are so far from my experience and your experience. But Jesus is saying, look, 
It's going to happen. What I'm telling you is legit. You're going through your life. It's normal. But I'm telling you, he's coming back. Jesus' words are legit. His words will be fulfilled. Everything he just talked about is going to happen. One event, two responses, where are you at? Is it going to be a delightful, rejoicing time for you or a day of dread and devastation? It's not too late. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to repent and receive Jesus Christ. It's not too late. And it's also not too late for us to get out of this sweet hotel and go tell people about Jesus. It's not too late. Our friends at school or at work, our neighbors, this does not have to be a day of dread for them at all. It can be a day of delight and of rejoicing. They can rejoice with us when Christ comes back. There doesn't need to be any dread. I've been thinking about this. I want to just tell you these two things. And you've, you've heard one from me a lot, but you haven't heard the other from me. And I apologize for that. But there, there are two ways I want to encourage you to interact with those who right now, it's going to be a devastating time if Christ comes back today or tomorrow. It's going to be devastating for them. It's this. You need to tell them. You need to be a sharer. You need to go share your faith. And you've heard that from me. I mean, it seems like every week I'm talking about go and proclaim the gospel. Because the Bible's always talking about it. You've heard that from me. But the second thing I want to tell you, which I don't know if you've ever heard from me, but some of you might have, long old timers, is this. I'm going to start encouraging you to also be a bringer. This is kind of old school here. Remember back in the day? where people would bring people to church. Remember that? Your parents and grandparents, maybe they used to do that. And their churches used to talk about it all the time. Bring people to church. Let's, let's have a competition. That's probably why you don't do it, right? All those competition type days. But you know what? People can come to know Jesus and be encouraged in the gospel during our corporate worship services. And I think it would be a great time to start inviting people to church who don't know Jesus, to be a bringer. And, I, and, I, and I'm sorry, I apologize for not really emphasizing that at all. I know I'm reacting against some popular, goofy stuff, but we can bring people to church. It happened in the New Testament. Unbelievers were in their midst. We can bring people to church that we love. And so we've been talking about this as elders and as staff, and we, we've decided... Man, we need to be a lot more hospitable. We want to encourage you to bring your friends, and we need to be more hospitable. And one of the ways we need to do that is, man, we've got to make some room. I mean, sometimes it just gets uncomfortable in here, and at MIC we're getting a little cramped. So we, we believe that, that the Lord is leading us, starting in April, I know it's going to mess with your schedules a little bit, but we're going to go to two services starting in April. And we're not just going to say we're going to two services, so there. No, we're going to two services, and we want you to invite people. We're making space and room for others to come, and we want you not only to share the gospel, but bring people to church where they can hear the gospel. Maybe you don't even know how to get a conversation started with anybody. Bring them to church. We'll help you. We'll get the conversation started. Then you can go out to lunch with them and say, what did you hear today? So let me encourage you to be a sharer, to share the gospel, and to bring people, bring them to church, because it's not too late there is still time. There is still time for us to share the good news of Jesus 
that they could be reconciled to God by faith and not face his wrath. Let's pray. Lord, I just praise you for your faithfulness, for snatching us from our lives of sin and destruction and pain and rebellion against you, and you've just saved us, redeemed us, and forgiven our sins and brought us into this great, fantastic relationship with you where we will live with you forever, and we long for your return And I just ask you to create compassion in a heart in us for those who don't know you, not in an arrogant way, maybe not in a way that it's been done in the past, but in a very compassionate, loving, grace-filled way, and yet pressing home the gospel, the glorious truth that you have come to save us from our sins, and you will come back again. So Lord, I just ask you would encourage us and move us out to share the gospel and to bring people to church. And we just want to bring you glory as we long for your coming. In Jesus' name, amen.